0: Hey, it's Rund here. And this week, we wanted to revisit a conversation we had that feels pretty timely. It's with the historian Brenda Wineapple.
1: The author of the book, The Impeachers The Trial of Andrew Johnson and The Dream of a Just Nation. The Impeachers details the very first test of what
0: the founders decided would be the ultimate consequence for presidential misbehavior
2: Presidential Impeachment. So presidential impeachment isn't a foreign concept for most of us.
0: Throughout all of American history, it's only happened four times. The point is, the country has rarely had to tackle the question of whether to fire the president and what that would mean. Partly because it's really difficult to impeach a president.
2: And that's by design. First, Congress has to decide whether the president has committed an impeachable offense. In the Constitution, it's defined as treason, bribery, or something called high crimes and misdemeanors.
0: Which, like, what does that even mean?
2: (laughs) Right. And figuring that out is just the first obstacle. Then a majority of the House of Representatives must vote to impeach. And finally, it goes to the Senate. There's a trial, and two-thirds of that body has to vote to convict before the president can be removed from office.
0: So imagine trying this for the first time back in 1868 with President Andrew Johnson. There was some intense drama. After the break, Andrew Johnson becomes the president in the midst of a crisis. And then becomes the crisis himself.
1: Hi, this is Augusto Callez calling from Honolulu, Hawaii, and you're
0: listening to Throughline from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Welcome to Banking Reimagined. Capital One checking and savings accounts have no fees or minimums, and a top-rated banking app that lets you manage your money anytime, anywhere. Check on the account balance, deposit checks, pay bills, and transfer money on the go. This is Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Capital One N.A., member FDIC.
2: With civil unrest, the pandemic, and the economic crisis, you want to know what's happening right when you wake up. And that's why there is Up First, the news you need in about 10 minutes from NPR News. Listen every day.
0: Let's set the scene to give you a sense of what the situation was in the U.S. at that time.
2: So the Civil War came to an end in 1865. That same year, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. The war was devastating, especially in the South, where thousands of people were displaced and destruction was everywhere.
0: With the end of slavery, millions of African Americans were free, and their status as citizens needed to be decided. There were really different opinions about what that should look like. Basically, the country was a mess, and it was unclear how it was going to come back together.
2: And with Lincoln out of the picture... The job of fixing the country fell to his vice president, Andrew Johnson.
1: As a senator from Tennessee, he was the only Southern senator who stood up and protested against secession. And in the North, he was considered a hero, really.
0: So why Johnson? Well, Lincoln, a Republican, chose Johnson, a Southern Democrat, to show that he was interested in representing all Americans, North and South. And even though the vice president is technically next in line, few people, including Johnson himself, actually thought he'd ever be running the country. But with Lincoln's assassination, it was now up to Johnson to deal with all the big questions facing the country.
1: You know, how do you put Humpty Dumpty back together again? You know, on what terms are you going to let these rebelling states back in the union? You just Mm -hmm. say, oh, it's okay. you didn't mean it. You know, do you say, oh, well, you never really left? But they said they left. They had their own government a war and constitution. We, yeah, they fought a war over it. So what do you do? Do you punish them? Do you not punish them? It's an interesting question, really. Yeah. The other thing is you've got 4 million people who had been enslaved. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to give them civil rights? Are you going to give them political rights, which is to say allowed to vote? How are you going to get these people jobs? They hadn't been allowed to learn to read and write. I mean, it's just an enormous, to use the words of today, humanitarian problem.
2: And where did Johnson stand on that, those questions?
1: He was not a progressive. He pretty early on vetoed the first Civil Rights Act and Mm. something called the Freedmen's Bureau Bill, which was funding to deal with refugees, former Mm. slaves. And he vetoed that. He vetoed both bills. And it was shocking, actually, to many people, particularly the ones who put together the bills, because they thought Johnson was going to okay it because they didn't think it was particularly radical, I mean, Mm. civil rights, you know. Well, of course you're going to give people the right to travel freely or Mm. to marry or to buy property. I mean, that seems basic. It it sounds like his change in stance
0: on some of these issues and policies was a surprise to some of the people in
1: Congress. It caught them off guard. He didn't change. It's Mm. like the scales fell from their eyes fact of the matter is that he was always Andrew Johnson. He, mm-hmm. he had never been, never mind an abolitionist, he'd never been anti-slavery. He only sort of consented to emancipation because it was politically expedient for him to do that. Mm-hmm. When he had money, when he's worked himself out of apprenticeship and that mm-hmm. he became fairly well off, then one of the first things he did was buy slaves. Mm. Johnson was an avowed white supremacist. And then a little bit later, when the 14th Amendment was debated and then it was going to be sent to the states to ratify, which was a way of codifying civil rights, you know, Johnson basically campaigned against it. Against the 14th Amendment. Yeah, (laughs) really. You know, I mean, that's quite something. And he he went on a whistle-stop tour.
2: At this point, clearly, Johnson's frustrating Congress, but when does it become all-out political warfare?
1: By 1866, things are getting really bad, mm. and then that particular spring and summer, there are uprisings, or they were called riots. They were basically massacres in two cities, one in Memphis and then in New Orleans, and it was it was just horrible. And it's basically ex-Rebels, Confederates against black people. They're basically mm-hmm. race riots, except one ra- only one race is rioting and the other is being slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a result of Johnson's policies. Wow. So more and more, uh, Johnson is losing whatever kind of backing he might have had among even moderate Republicans in Congress. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there isn't serious talk there's talk about impeachment mm-hmm. but you know think about this then you, <laughs> going back you just ended a civil war the country's broken and in pieces people mm-hmm. are starving you've got 4 million people who were been enslaved mm-hmm. and deprived of all kinds of rights and at the same time you've got a first presidential assassination And now you're thinking of impeachment when that's never been done at the presidential level? So needless to say, there are a lot of people who are, like, really nervous about it. I mean, on what grounds would they even impeach him at this
0: point? What, What were they saying?
1: Well, what they would say basically is uh, abuse of power, Mm. obstruction of Congress. Mm. But by your very question, you're getting to the heart of something. What is the nature of impeachment? Can somebody be impeached for political offenses, Mm. or does it have to be an infraction of law? If it's political offenses, then... Anything goes at any time, the argument is. If it's an actual infraction of a law, then you have to wait till somebody breaks the law.
2: If they're unsure about impeaching Johnson at this point, what changes? So
1: there's a lot of political upset about Johnson because not only is he defying Congress, but then slowly and surely he begins to defy the military. And what Congress starts to do in response is not impeachment, but pass what are called the Reconstruction Acts, where it basically takes back its function and says, okay, we're going to determine what allows a state, a a formerly seceded state, to go back into Congress and to regain their representation. Mm -hmm. And the way we're going to decide, we're going to divide the South, the formerly seceded states, Mm -hmm. into five zones, Mm -hmm. and we're going to oversee elections there. And those are the Reconstruction Acts. Johnson, by this time, has a new attorney general and gets him to write rules that undercut Mm -hmm. the fact that these are military men who are overseeing these sections. And, of course, Johnson and his allies are saying, this is military occupation. You can't do this. All right. So Congress has decided that the U.S. military should be responsible
0: for, you know, maintaining law and order in the South. But Johnson, on the flip
1: side, says it's military occupation. How does Congress respond? What Congress does is try to tie Johnson's hands. And so what they do is they pass laws that basically say that he can't really fire a federal officer without the, you know, advice and consent of mm-hmm. the Senate. Yeah. So and they're doing that because they know that he wants to get rid of Secretary of War Stanton, who's backing the military, who's backing the Reconstruction.
2: And what does Johnson do?
1: He tries to fire Stanton, and Stanton won't leave. Stanton says, I'm not going. The Senate says, you don't have to go. And Johnson yeah. defies them and appoints somebody else. At a certain point, the House had no choice anymore. They had been avoiding huh. going down this road. This is the third time it came up. Wow. They hadn't wow. wanted Impeachment to do it. Impeachment was the last resort. It's really the last resort.
0: Maybe they didn't want to do it, but they did it. When we come back, The Trial of Andrew Johnson.
1: Hi, my name is Tanya from Spring, Texas, and you're listening to Throughline from
0: NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp
1: therapist Hesu Jo explains the importance of creating a safe space for therapy. I can't tell you how many times I've had clients that say that expression like I've never told that to anybody. That's when I know I've made some kind of momentous move with this person. They feel safe enough to expose that part of themselves and doing that together with somebody else
0: can be very powerful. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to betterhelp.com/throughline.
2: The world was shocked when pro-Trump extremists stormed and seized the US Capitol. Throughout this tumultuous era, the NPR Politics Podcast has been there every day explaining and making sense of the news. We'll be doing that through the final days of the Trump administration as we all try to understand how this moment happened and what will come next. Alright, so it's February 24th, 1868. And for the first time in American history, the House of Representatives is voting on whether to impeach a sitting president.
1: So, of course, the House votes overwhelmingly to impeach him, and then the impeachment goes to the Senate for trial.
2: And was this, like, high political drama at the time?
1: Yeah, high political drama. It was, you couldn't get a ticket, really. Uh, I mean, It was this, all over
0: the newspaper. All over the front
1: page, every newspaper in the country. I mean, how could it not be? I mean, think of it if it was today or yesterday. I mean, of course, it's big news.
2: And what does the trial in the Senate look like?
1: The trial starts in March and it's over by May. So it's not that long. But it's long enough to sow a lot of doubt. And because both sides argued brilliantly and because Johnson had some wonderful lawyers on his side making very interesting arguments... You know, that was persuasive to many, but there's always behind the scenes politics. So it's not just simple of, oh, it's up or down. It's like, what are the political ramifications? Mm -hmm. What's gonna happen? Because it's 1868, it's an election year. And the fact that the next in line for president was a man named Ben Wade. We don't know who he is anymore, but he was considered a radical Republican progressive. Mm -hmm. And that made a lot of people nervous. So what ends (laughs) up
0: happening with the trial?
1: (laughs) Johnson's acquitted by one vote. One vote. One vote.
0: So he was one vote away.
1: From one vote. One voted out of office. That's right. One vote. But I should also mention one other thing that money and bribery play a big part in what oh, happens really? and who votes too. It's hard to hmm. prove. I would have loved to have proved it. But that particular one vote, his name is Edmund Ross. Let's just say that after the acquittal, he kept going back for more and more and more and more and more favors. Mm. And he did have financial problems, and it's very dubious whether his vote was as pure as he liked Mm. to pretend it was or as courageous, yeah.
2: So Johnson just barely (laughs) gets away, right? That's
1: right. That's right.
0: Coming up, how this decision affects us today.
1: My name is Kelvin Santos. I'm from Ponce, Puerto Rico, and you're listening
2: to Throughline from NPR. Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org.
0: So this was the first time that an impeachment trial happens yeah. against an American president. Right. And even though he doesn't end up getting kicked out of office, I mean, what repercussions did this
1: Well, you have? know what's interesting? You know what I think personally? Yeah. I think the reason why I or you or, you know, other people really didn't know much about it yeah. is because nobody wanted there to be any repercussions. Nobody wanted mm-hmm. to think about it. People wanted to just move ahead. Grant's famous political slogan for the 1868 race was, let us have peace. Mm -hmm. You know, one way to sort of understand that is to say, let's let bygones be bygones. Let's forget about
2: it. What lesson should we draw today? What an impeachment means for a society and the difficulty of an impeachment happening and what it actually like did to American society at the time then and, and could do today? It's
1: twofold. It's sort of a cliche, but I mean, it is a court of last resort. I mean, Mm -hmm. nobody wants to go through that process because it suggests a kind of failure. There was a failure to get the right leader or the failure of the leader to lead. But at the same time, it also suggests hope. And what I mean by that is that there is a constitutional means of redress, mm-hmm. that if there are mistakes, the you can rectify them mm-hmm. and move forward. There's a mechanism for that. Right. And that it can happen in an orderly way, which is how impeachment happened mm-hmm. in 1868. There were arguments made by rational, serious people on both parts. Legally and morally and ethically, and so I think that you, one can take heart in that. That was Brenda Wineapple.
0: Her book, *The Impeachers*, is out now. That's it for this week's show. I'm Randa AbdelFatah.
2: I'm Ramtin Arablouei, and you've been listening to Throughline.
0: The show was produced by me and Ramteen and...
2: Jamie York. Lawrence Wu.
0: Lane Kaplan-Levinson. Julie Kane.
2: Victor Ivez, Parth Shah.
0: Thanks also to Anya Grunman.
2: And Chris Turpin.
0: Original music was produced by Drop Electric.
2: And let's keep the conversation going. If you have an idea or thoughts on this episode, hit us up on Twitter at NPR. Or send us an email to throughline at npr.org.
0: If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.
2: And tell your friends to subscribe.
0: Thanks for listening. A special thanks to the estate of Samir Nagib for helping to support this podcast. Ramteen, I have a confession. I like coffee now.
2: Bro, what are you talking about? <laughs> You literally said you hate coffee on this show.
0: Yeah, but that all changed when I tried Brewline, ThruLine's very own coffee.
2: And you can get your own by visiting nprcoffeeclub.org.
0: Brewline. Even coffee haters love it.